The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The UK economy suffers a record contraction. So it is now very likely that the UK is facing a significant recession to, to, at the moment and this year. Warnings Brazil could be the next virus epicentre. Brazil has ministered just 3,500 tests for every 1 million inhabitants. That's almost 10 times less than the rate in the UK and the US. And the EU's plan to save the summer. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. Britain's economy shrank at its fastest pace since the peak of the financial crisis in the first three months of the year. According to the Office for National Statistics, GDP tumbled by 2% in the first quarter in its worst performance since the end of 2008 as the coronavirus took hold. And the Chancellor Rishi Sunak said the economy had been pushed into decline from just a few days of damage. The first quarter was that bad based on just a few days of the impact of coronavirus in March. So, yes, it is now very likely that the UK is facing a significant recession at the moment and this year. The Telegraph's Deputy Economics Editor Tim Wallace says few sectors have escaped the knock. Almost every industry has been hit, first as the coronavirus swept through Britain's export markets, then the pandemic reached the UK and forced businesses to close their doors. To put that 2% in context, the biggest drop in any quarter in the financial crisis was 2.1%. But this time, the drop is only the beginning. In March alone, GDP was down by 5.8% compared with February. That's almost as big as the 6% slump in the economy over the entire financial crisis. That happened even though the lockdown was only officially imposed near the end of the month. It means April and the rest of the second quarter will be even worse. Economists expect the economy to shrink by anywhere between 10% and 25%. That would put the UK officially into recession and would be the biggest quarterly drop on record. It's much bigger than the Great Depression. To find anything comparable in history, you have to go back 100 years to the recession which followed the First World War, but even that might not match up to the fall now. Instead, Britain's situation could be its most dire since the early 1700s. For the government... This means an extraordinary borrowing binge as tax revenues collapse and spending to preserve jobs and businesses jumps. That means hard decisions are likely to come soon as the Chancellor works out just how much he can keep on borrowing for months and years to come. It comes on the day that those in England who couldn't work from home were encouraged to return for the first time, avoiding public transport where possible. It's part of the government's bid to restart the economy while keeping workers safe. But The Telegraph's personal finance reporter, Mariana Hunt, says some workers who could work from home are being forced to leave their houses because of a grey area in government guidance. House builders, garden centre employees and lab technicians have all been heading back into work this week after the Prime Minister said on Sunday that anyone who can't do their job properly from home should go back to work. But he's left a gaping loophole by allowing employers to decide who can and can't do their job properly from home. If you can do 99% of your work from there, but not the rest, then it's going to be up to your employer to decide if that's good enough. That's meant there's been some surprising names turning up on the list of employees being told to go back into the office, including accountants, graphic designers and telephone salespeople. So you could be heading back to the office sooner than you think. If you are heading back, make sure you know what safety measures are in place. Your employer should do a risk assessment before asking you to come in to work out how two metre distancing will be possible in the office 
and whether you'll need PPE. If you're still not happy and feel there's an immediate danger to your health by going in, you do have a right to refuse. If you're threatened with the sack because of this, speak to your union or a lawyer. You can also choose to blow the whistle on the company. First, speak to someone senior within the organisation, then ring a whistleblower hotline. If you're in an at-risk group but feel you've got no choice to come in, tell your employer. And if you're let go because of this, you can appeal it under discrimination law. The government wants people to go back to work, but only if it's safe to do so. Boris Johnson's been accused of misleading the House of Commons after he denied that government guidance in place until the 12th of March stated that people in care homes were very unlikely to contract COVID-19. Labour leader Sakir Starmer wrote to the Prime Minister urging him to recognise that this had been official guidance earlier in the year after Boris Johnson denied that was the case during Prime Minister's questions. Mr Speaker, in a speech on Sunday, the Prime Minister said that we need to rapidly reverse the awful epidemic in our care homes. But earlier this year, and until the 12th of March, the government's own official advice was, and I'm quoting from it, it remains very unlikely that people receiving care in a care home will become infected. Yesterday's ONS figures showed that at least 40% of all deaths from COVID-19 were in care homes. Does the Prime Minister accept that the government was too slow to protect people in care homes? Prime Minister. No, Mr Speaker, it wasn't true that the uh, advice said that. And actually, uh, we brought the lockdown in uh, care homes ahead of the the general lockdown. The guidance, published in late February, uses this exact phrase as an explanation for why face masks weren't required within care home settings. When Sakir wrote to Mr Johnson asking him to correct the record, the Prime Minister said he was standing by his earlier comments, accusing his counterpart of quoting the advice selectively and misleadingly. The Prime Minister acknowledged that the government was making progress, but said there was still much to do in reducing the pandemic in care homes, as he announced a further £600 million to fight infections in England's care homes. Brazil recorded its highest daily rise in deaths from the virus, with 881 people reported to have died on Tuesday. Separately, researchers say the first recorded COVID-19 death in Brazil happened almost two months earlier than previously thought, in mid-January. The country's total death toll now stands at almost 12,500, making it the sixth worst affected country in the world. And it comes amid warnings the real figure could be much higher. Ewan Marshall reports from Sao Paulo. Only the United States recorded more new COVID-19 deaths than Brazil on Tuesday, bolstering claims the South American country may well be the world's next coronavirus epicentre. The numbers are alarming, but there's a consensus among infectious disease experts that even these figures are highly underreported, largely due to problems with testing. Testing in the country is remarkably low, with Brazil's public and private health systems lacking the funds and infrastructure to carry out mass diagnostic programmes. Brazil has administered just 3,500 tests for every 1 million inhabitants. That's almost 10 times less than the rate in the UK and the US. With equipment in short supply, overloaded health systems in Brazil are only testing those with severe COVID-19 symptoms, leaving many potential cases undiagnosed. On top of this, deaths from severe respiratory illnesses have skyrocketed in certain states, with suggestions that many of these fatalities may in fact have been unreported COVID-19 patients. 
A recent study carried out by Brazilian researchers suggested that the total number of cases in the country could be in excess of 1.6 million, considerably higher than the official count of under 180,000. Meanwhile, as Brazil establishes itself as the latest epicentre of COVID-19, the country's president, Jair Bolsonaro, is making good on his promise to send people back to work, regardless of the health risk. This week, he issued a decree which would allow all gyms, fitness centres, hair salons and barber shops to remain open, even in cities with strict lockdown measures. State governments promised to ignore this rule change, with Rio de Janeiro Governor Wilson Witzel saying that the president is walking towards the precipice and trying to take Brazil with him. Face masks on planes, socially distanced sunbathing and a booking system for hotel pools. That's what the summer of 2020 could look like under new plans drawn up by the European Union. The EU's unveiled a proposal to help salvage the summer tourist season. Tourism accounts for 10% of the European economy and far more in countries such as Spain and Greece. And the COVID-19 linked recession is hitting the industry hard. So today, the European Commission outlined measures aimed at boosting the sector and giving people the confidence to travel again safely. It includes health measures for hotels and guidance on how airlines, ferries and buses can run safely. The approach is staggered. The Commission proposes starting with travel between European countries with similarly low coronavirus coronavirus levels, reimposing restrictions if there's a new peak in infection. It would prioritise travel for EU goods and workers to kickstart the single market. Later, European tourists would be allowed to travel following strict social distancing guidelines. And finally, the EU could open up to tourists from outside Europe after June the 15th. But don't expect a holiday away from your phone. The Commission recommends that tracing apps being developed at the moment are designed to work for mobile phone users across Europe to keep people safe on holiday. Even being Hollywood royalty won't help you these days when you're trying to get an appointment at a hairdresser. Star of Desperate Housewives Terry Hatcher is among the celebrities to show her Instagram followers what she looks like without regular touch-ups. Admittedly, still quite good. As salons remain shut in large parts of the world. I am here in my bathroom with one of my cats and my very grey hair. And, you know... It doesn't really bother me. I've actually been considering, like, growing it, like, out and just letting it... That's a decision the actress hasn't made yet, though, as she goes on to talk viewers through her at-home colouring routine. And while at-home dye is, of course, an option, I wanted to catch up with a colleague who's spoken openly about embracing the grey. After nine years, Telegraph reporter Izzy Lyons stopped colouring her hair last year, when she was just 25. I started by asking her how she came to make peace with her natural hair colour. I know a lot of people will think it's a very trivial thing, but... You can say it to the cows, come home. It doesn't matter if you've got grey hairs, but the majority of women, especially young women, would be very self-conscious of something like that. I think women are under a lot of pressure to be like eternally youthful and never age. <laughs> so when you're going to university, as I was at 17, 18 years old, and having to worry about how I was going to colour my hair during Freshers' Week, like that was not something that many young people have to think about. And it definitely, I was very, very self-conscious of it. So I dyed my hair for like a good nine years and it was only until I hit like my early 20s I was around it was late last summer that I sort of realized how much pressure I put myself under just over what really are just gray hairs and I just decided to embrace it and I was fortunate enough to have a boyfriend at the time who was 
very, very encouraging of it and said literally what I needed him to say, which was, it doesn't matter. It is just grey hair. And it helped quite a lot. And then from then onwards, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to stop dyeing it. And um, yeah, I haven't dyed my hair in a year. And they are fully, <laughs> fully on show. And what would be your advice for the people who are worrying about it at home, um, frantically trying to get hold of home hair dye kits and just feeling self-conscious? Well, I suppose, I mean, it's not for everyone, but I would just encourage as many people as possible to just embrace it. I think we put far too much pressure on ourselves to never age and to hide all signs of ageing. And I think a lot of things have been put in perspective at this time in the pandemic of what is important to a lot of us. And something like the colour of your hair, I know it can make a lot of us feel very self-conscious, but I would certainly just encourage people to embrace it. And it's probably quite a good time to start letting it grow out because the very, very awkward stages are the, the first few weeks when you can just see a glimpse of them at the roots. But considering we're probably not going to be going out and socialising for, for the foreseeable few months, it's probably quite a good time just to let it grow out and to not let it get to you and not let it be an insecurity like it was for me that, that certainly ruled a lot of my, my life. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis and I'll have your next update on Thursday evening. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email me. The address is coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk. If your question's about the government furlough scheme, my colleague from the personal finance team, Jessica Beard, is our own furloughing expert and she'll be running a live Q&A on our website at 1pm on Thursday. As always, details of how to join that in the show notes to this episode. That's only open to Telegraph subscribers, but if you don't already subscribe, you can take out a seven-day subscription completely free at telegraph.co.uk slash audio.